Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 208 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, May 4th, 2020, so happy Star Wars Day, and may the 4th be with you to all the nerds out there in Duke basketball fandom. We are coming to you, I don't know, it's probably week eight or so of the pandemic, and we're all still stuck inside, but there's plenty, somehow, plenty weeks. of basketball. Did, did you say weeks? I I, I think we're counting in each, each isn't it each week like a year now or something like Who that. Knows? It feels Who forever. Knows? We 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 haven't. No, seen... there's, I, I've I've established this. It's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Those are the only units of day measurement that will be accepted during this pandemic. I did. I think I did get right that today is in fact Monday. So I'm happy that I'm still on. I'm still on that. I still know the days of the week, but we'll see how long that lasts. You've now heard from everybody on the show, the people you normally hear from. <laughs> I am before we get to all of the various basketball news, let's say hello. I'm Sam Klein. I am your host for this episode, coming to you from Durham, North Carolina, home of Duke University, which is currently shut down in Washington, DC. Donald Wine is back home. Donald, how we doing? Uh hanging in there. It's a nice sunny day outside, but it it was we got torrential storms last night. Uh so uh, well, what all this means is I'm staying inside. All right, that's fine. And Jason Evans is at home in Atlanta, right? I am. Uh, boy, it was a gorgeous, wonderful weekend. Great time to stay away from as many people as possible. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that you all <laughs> glad that you all are still around and still sound like yourselves. Hope everybody out there is doing okay. But we have, as I said, we have news to talk about somehow. So we're going to run through a few things today. First, we're going to talk about some of the content that the Duke men's basketball social media team has been putting out. Then we'll get around to some news from the NBA about them uh, moving the lottery and the draft com- combine out in, in accordance with them having the lottery was going to be this week. We'll get into a release from the NCAA about uh, name, image, and likeness and how the changes to the student athlete model are potentially coming down the pipe. And then we'll finish up with a bit of review on the last dance, probably the only sports content that everyone is watching right now. So, and it's, it's basketball related. So we feel that we are somewhat qualified to chime in at least as qualified as we would be about anything else. But as I mentioned, we'll start with some of the fun content. Hopefully those of you out there who listen to this show also follow Duke men's basketball, social media on whatever platforms it is that that you engage with, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. We, of course, are all fans, first and foremost, and we have been watching all the stuff they've put out. So a couple of things we wanted to highlight this week. First uh, is is the latest episode in a series that Nolan Smith, uh, who's the head of basketball operations, has been running. He's been doing these these check-ins with former players. They call them the Brotherhood Connect. And this week he did a really fun one with a handful of guys from the most recent team who are all coming back next year. It was Jordan Goldwire, Matthew Hurt, Joey Baker, and Wendell Moore, all guys who will be returning to the Blue Devils next year. And they caught up on a variety of fun topics. They talked video games. They talked the team and the players and and how they all got along. I wanted to just get the two of you to give me your thoughts on on this most recent episode because I thought it was a lot of fun. So Jason, why don't you take it first? What what did you enjoy about uh, that most recent Brotherhood Connect video? Well, I, I, you hit on one of them. I, I I was struck by how much they talked about how close last year's team was. They talked about how much 
how much bonding they did, uh, how much fun they had in the locker room. It was clear they didn't tell us exactly what had happened, but there it was clear that there are some certain locker room traditions and antics that they installed last season. They plan to continue going in the future that had not existed in the past, but it was abundantly clear that these guys really got along. They they spent a lot of time together. At one point, they um, Nolan was talking about the fact that they were having a team meeting, and he noticed that the guys in the team were all like, they were talking to each other, they were engaged with each other, they were their heads were up, and no one had their phone out. And Nolan was saying, you know, in this day and age, you just never see that. Usually, usually like, you know, the coaches walk in the room and, and everybody in the team is doing their own thing on their own phone. And Nolan said he'd noticed that these guys, um, that last year's team was a team that was more together and and didn't need to be constantly checking social media and and texting with friends and whatever else was going on. I, I just thought it was a great slice of what a special special group they were. And, and it made me all the more sad that we weren't able to see what would happen, you know, at the very end of the year when they hopefully put it all together um, and, uh, and, and came together as a team and were able to perhaps get some banners. The other thing I was struck by just on an individual kind of thing was Joey Baker. He's somewhat overlooked among the four returnees. You know, he's certainly the one who, who got the, the fewest number of starts and fewest number of minutes of the, of those four returnees, but you could tell he was incredibly vocal on this call um, he just sounds like a guy who's a leader. Um, he, he talked about wanting to work on uh, his, his game in the offseason, and he his, his goal is to become the best shooter in the country. And, you know, considering how good he was at times last year, that's a realistic goal for him. And, man, that'd be it'd be great to have that in our team. Um, it seems like the guys are really working on getting in shape and getting stronger. They talked about, you know, having weights and working out and that kind of stuff. But – I didn't hear a lot of talk about them getting on court all that much. And and obviously it's going to be difficult for anybody other than, you know, shooting at their backyard hoop. It's just a tough time to, to get actual court work. Um, which is, but, but which, which yeah. sort of tracks with what we've talked about a couple of times here, right? Exactly. Yeah. Everyone's summer is going to be somewhat variable. And as we've noted, look for returning players on teams to be more effective than they normally would be relative to their new counterparts because they at least know what they're coming in for. They know how to prepare the way the team expects them to prepare. And as you mentioned, Jason, these are all the, I think these are all the returning players on this team, the returning scholarship players, at least. So these are the guys who make up the core of the team. Don't be surprised to see any and all of them starting at different points in the season, even if there are perhaps more talented uh, more highly touted freshmen coming in like uh, Jeremy Roach, like Jalen Johnson. Uh, Donald, what what else do you have to add from the Brotherhood Connect video from this week? Well, I think, you know, I think Jason touched a lot on the fact that they, they seem to have fun with each other, you know, talking about who had the best dancing skills and who plays video games the best. Those little things where they were kind of, they took the opportunities to clown each other or, you know, some were believe, demonstrative. I can't believe they didn't, they didn't then volunteer to play video games live for us. I mean, th- th- these, right. are, these are obvious things yeah. for them to, to, to uh, you know, arguments to settle, right? Some of them Twi- are very Twitch, demonstrative. Twitch would pay them a lot of money for that, I would think, right? Isn't that like what Twitch is all about? Well, well they, they can't. can't not they yet. Can't, they, can't, they can't do it yet, but, you know. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to that. That's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, get to that. That's coming up on the they show. Can, <laughs> they, can set up their, they can set up their Twitch profiles and people can follow along. And as soon as they 
declare for the draft or leave school, then the then, donation. Then it's already set up. Yeah. But I, you know, Jason, you also talked about the fact that we we've touched a lot of it, uh, talked about how they were working out, and you know, they all really had different things. You know, Jordan Goldwire was like, I have a couple of weights in my garage. Joey Baker is like, I'm fortunate enough to live in a place where I'm allowed to go to a gym so I can do that a couple of times a week. So they all had their different ways of, of staying in shape. You know, Wendell Moore said he wanted to do conditioning, but he couldn't just like go to a track and, you know, run around or go to a gym and, and do wind sprints. So I like how they all are cognizant of the different ways that they can stay, you know, in shape. As Nolan Smith said, it was to get that old school work in. They were using a lot of body weights, a lot of, you know, small dumbbells and, and just really doing the, the, the old school gym workouts that, uh, a lot of us did back in the day before we had elaborate gyms with uh, incredible, you know, strength and conditioning coaches and nutritionists. So uh, I really enjoyed that they kind of recognize that and and they're all, even in their own individual ways are still trying to find a way to stay in shape. All right. So the one other piece of content that I wanted us to touch on that the men's basketball team put out was a compilation video of fans, mostly pretty young fans, but Duke fans recreating famous shots from Duke history. There was Grayson Allen, there was Cam Reddish, there was Austin Rivers, Trey Jones, a couple of Christian Leitner shots that, that that segment went on for a little bit. And then what was fun, I think, about the video is that they overlaid the Duke radio call. Play so by play mostly, call. It was great. Mostly, it was awesome. mostly Bob Harris, uh, but some of the <laughs> Some of the newer content as well of uh, the radio call coming on over the speaker to, so that we could hear, you know, a 10 year old kid reenacting Cam Reddish's three pointer to beat Florida State at, at the buzzer from last year with the with the call over it. And, the, you know, the same with Leitner and all that. So that was also pretty cool. Uh, Donald, I'll, I'll give it to you first. What'd you like? Were, were there any standout performances, I would say, from I, the from the compilation of of Duke shots? I think the shot. Uh, the the recreation of the shot was pretty cool. I did like the uh, the dude who did the sub zero, where he even did the point the the, the waving off of uh of the uh, uh oh, he, of the where he waves off Tyler Zeller. Yeah. Yeah. he waves off Tyler Zell and then he pops it in his face. That was pretty cool because I, I like the fact that when when someone does recreation, I like when they do all those little details. If it's just like catching, you know, the shot, catch the ball, turn around, shoot it, whatever. But some did the like they, pump well, fake they, the right way and they, stuff like that. Did the, the, or the video where they did the Austin Rivers shot, his friend came over and tackled him like uh -huh. all the guys on the team did. So that was good. The yeah, celebrations. Yeah. I thought the celebrations might have been the best part of any of it because so many of them, like they knew exactly the way the, the player runs to celebrate and where he went and things like mm -hmm. that. The only thing that was missing was the people who recreated the shot from the Duke Kentucky game. I'm yet to see someone rec recreate Thomas Hill's face. Yeah. That's, that's a mandatory. Yeah, you know, there was one, I think with a dad on the <laughs> sideline, who totally could yeah. have put his hands on his head and done the, the, yeah. the crying he thing. missed a Donald, golden opportunity there. I'm Donald. I'm shocked that you didn't like the, the one at the, I think it was towards the end of the video. One guy did the Chris Duhan coast to coast layup. Um, oh yeah, that, that was, was nice. Cool. That was well done. That well, was see, nice. The issue a little up and under for the. the, for well, the see, I was, was going to say, see, really quick. I was going to say the thing that impressed me the most wasn't the people who hit the jump shots. It's the people. There are guys who are doing like 
double pumps and uh, you know, like layups and stuff where, where it took some athleticism to do it. See, the <laughs> problem with it. the, the only problem with the Duhan shot is, is one of my favorite shots of all time. But the problem with it was there was no, you couldn't celebrate immediately afterwards because there were still six seconds left on the on the clock and they ran it all the way down. So it was the, it's like you do the layup and you're like, okay, cool. They did a layup. And on a recreation, it's hard to do that because that moment isn't encapsulated within itself. It's encapsulated within another additional 15 seconds. I like I like that the video started with the Grayson Allen shot against Virginia because I think most Duke fans will, will acknowledge or many Duke fans will acknowledge that Grayson Allen probably traveled when he landed. Like his foot, his foot lands like <laughs> right at the time when he's shooting the shot. So we all sort of know that Duke probably shouldn't have won the game, but whatever, lean into it. We've we we have that. Victory. It's ours now. It's in, and, it's and and they let off the. You know, that's certainly not the most notable Duke buzzer beater, even of the last, even like since Grayson Allen has been in school or or since his sophomore year, right? I think the Cam Reddish shot is is perhaps more iconic. Trey Jones this year certainly against UNC is is more iconic than that. But why not? Started off with the with the shot that is that trolls the most uh, basketball fans. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I thought it was kind of fun. I loved that. That there were people, like I said, going back to Duhan in the early 2000s, and then even back to Leitner. I mean, there are some there are some old school takes in there because most of them, most of the clips are of fans who look like they're you know preteen. So none of them actually remember Chris Duhan. They all weren't even alive yet. They probably barely I, remember Austin Rivers. I will say there was one that I wish they had done that was left out, or probably left on the cutting room floor. Nobody did the Dante Jones dunk with the pushups, and. If they had done that, that would have been the best one of all. I think there could have been more dunks. There was a there was one Zion Williamson dunk. I feel like we could have had more dunks, right? The the Johnny Dawkins dunk, the Elton oh, Brand yeah. dunk, like you said, Dante Jones, well, um, well, Gerald. It wasn't, like, but, all these guys were, had these cool dunks that we could. But they seen. were going for this. This was buzzer beaters. They were going for game winning shots. It wasn't like and how often is a dunk a game winning shot? Pretty True. damn rare. Right. <laughs> Fine. Well, but it was, do, I mean, some of them were buzzer beaters. The Duhan, the Duhan runner was not a buzzer beater. Yeah, but it's still but a game-winning shot. Game situation. Yeah. Anyway, totally cool. So so we'll we'll say, Duke fans, if you, for some reason, are not following Duke men's basketball on social media, go ahead and do that because they, in spite of there being no current content to put out, they've put out a ton. They did some recently on the new players who were coming in, all the – all the incoming freshmen got their jerseys assigned, so they got their little uh, cartoon avatars that that all the players have had in recent seasons. So all that. By stuff the way, is- by the way, Jalen Johnson picked number one. Number one has been freshman of the year two years in a row. Zion Williamson and then Vernon Carey. Jalen so Johnson. Yeah, I mean that's. So let's start pumping up expectations. There so you go. <laughs> this this coming from a program that until you know Kyrie Irving we didn't really have a lot of players wear number one. In fact, I'm pretty Kyrie. sure Kyrie was the Kyrie. first player to do it. Kyrie, Kyrie was the first one. So uh, expectations abound for, for Jalen Johnson and the rest of the freshman class. We do want to move on, though. I said we have a, a few more items to cover. So the NBA draft, or the NBA, I guess, announced last week, a few days ago, that they have suspended the lottery and the draft combine. And... They haven't yet pushed out the draft date. I think the NBA is still trying to figure out if there's a way for them to play some part of the playoffs, end of the regular season, figure out how to fit all that stuff in before the draft, which happens in late June, as 
fans may remember the draft usually happens just a few days after the finals. So everybody's still excited about the finals, but now it's time to look forward. The NBA is still trying to keep that timeline in place so that hopefully they can do camps over the summer and have, and have the summer league in Las Vegas as they normally do. Well, and, the, and the big thing is free agency, free agency's tied. Free to agency the, yeah. so, 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 so ideally they keep as many of those dates intact as possible, but given that we're coming up on the lottery, which would have been this week, and then the combine uh, coming a couple weeks later, they said, we're not going to be able to to do that. So Jason, I want to ask you first, what is the effect that you think of pushing the lottery out? And feel free to talk about either the players who are on the fringe for coming back to school, talk about the college teams, talk about the NBA teams, whoever you think are sort of the most interesting parties in this decision. I, th- I think it's clear that the reason they push this stuff out is because they're still hoping to have a season. Uh, they're still hoping to conclude the season and have the playoffs. And, and there's been talk about possibly playing games at Disney World. Uh, I think they were talking about maybe Arizona or someplace. Vegas. I, I, I don't, Vegas, that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, they're, that they would essentially sequester the teams and the officials and people connected to the teams um, in a, you know, in a safe, tested environment. There would be no fans and they would still have games. Well, if you're going to still have games, whether it's an abbreviated schedule, whether it's an abbreviated playoffs, I think everyone realizes that's what they would probably do. Uh, you, you, you can't you can't have a draft <laughs> until you know who, who's finishing where in the standings. Um, so so that's why they pushed everything back. I, I, I think it does have an impact on some of the guys. I, I think there I think I read there were 205 guys who have declared for the draft. You know who are non seniors. And any delay in this process is more time for them to get more feedback, more time for them to evaluate things for themselves, more time for them to make decisions about whether or not they stay in the draft. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how many minds it'll change by, the, by there being more time, but, but I think it's, it's possible that it changes some minds. And, and look, we're in an age where like Donald said, there's yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Um, so, so guys could change their minds based purely on on what our response as a society is to this virus and what the virus's response is to us. It's uh, you know, it's stuff. Do- Donald, I, I know you've got some thoughts on all this, so so take it from me because I, I I just feel like a lot of it is is a waiting game. Um, although I'm getting a little more hopeful that we may get. NBA basketball sometime soon. So I, I do think the NBA is coming back. I'll talk about that in just a minute. I think first I want to talk about what this means for the college side. This decision is important because the players who have declared for the draft but may want to return, the combine always started that clock. The combine was supposed to start this week. And at that point, once the combine was done, it would have been 10 days after the end of that combine. That would have been the deadline for players to return to college. The draft lottery was at the end of the month. The, that being postponed makes sense. The NBA draft in itself next in June is most likely going to be postponed because they'll probably either have just started re- resuming games or still be in the middle of the season. But on college, it's important because they're going to have to eventually set a clock. They're not going to be able to wait for the NBA to set a combine date, a draft date, which could be in August, September, or October, colleges are going to need to know soon who's coming back. And so that clock is going to eventually be started on the NCAA side. 
And that is going to be where these players are really going to be affected. And I think, honestly, when it comes to all these sports, I think that these players that have declared for the draft are going to be the most affected of any athlete. Here's why. We, we don't know when the draft's going to be. We, again, we talked about that clock. But also, I feel like basketball, more than any other sport, is a sport where the info that you get in person by looking at a player is way more effective as opposed to just film. You know that you always talk about the combine was a way for guys that may have been second round draft picks to be solidified or to jump into the first round. But that was based on how they played against each other, how they how a guy would look at him in person, and go, oh, my God, this guy really in person is a much better basketball player than I see on game film. It's easy to put together highlights for people. We see it all the time. It's easy to put together a highlight of somebody and say, wow, this guy's a great player. And then you see him in person, you break down those nuances. But really, when you have that, you have Summer League, which is another way for these guys to get seen. All of that's being pushed away. Summer League's probably going to be canceled. If this season, I mean, the NBA's talk about maybe having the season finish in September and then having next season delayed until Christmas Day. That means that these players could go seven, eight, nine months without playing live basketball in front of people, that really affects them. It affects these guys that are trying to make, you know, the an NBA roster who normally would have that opportunity this week and over the coming months. That's not going to happen for them. So I think this domino effect really impacts everybody. But for these specific players, I think it is a really, really – uh, it's it's really going to impact them because they don't get to get the eyeballs that normally would be in front of them for them to make a difference in whether they make a team or they don't. Hey, hey Sam, can I ask a question of you? I, I've been wondering something because I, I think, the like Donald said, I think the NBA is going to come back. Um, in fact, I think it may be sooner rather than later. I, 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 I won't be surprised if the NBA comes back in June. Do you think the NBA should come back with the regular season or just jump straight to the playoffs? I mean, do you think people I, I know people are going to be excited for it and, you know, and, and talk to me about that for a second. But do you think people still want the regular season or do they just want they want the freaking Rockets against the Lakers and and the Clippers and, and the Bucks and such? They, they just want to see the best, don't you think? Or should the NBA I, bother with a regular season at this point? I see this being a great opportunity for the NBA to try out new stuff. Because they've talked about, I think it's Bill Simmons that came up with the idea of doing a end of the season tournament right before the playoffs of all the non-playoff teams to fill out the last couple spots in the playoffs and then also to determine the the lottery. Yeah, this oh, is, I love that. I love and, that. And, 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 and the NBA has talked about doing it during the season, like they, just, yeah, a, they, just they, an in itself tournament. And the NBA is, I think, of all the major sports leagues, the most open to tinkering with playoff formats and new ideas that are sort of just exciting to fans, regardless of how they affect records and, and all that kind of stuff. Because also generally speaking in the NBA, the very best teams tend to win the championship, which doesn't necessarily happen in, in baseball and football the same way. And even in hockey. So this is a great opportunity for the NBA to say all eyes on us. The rules are kind of thrown out the window as far as exactly what fans expect. It doesn't matter that it's, early June, therefore it must be conference final season, right? We're all just going to be so starved for seeing live sports. And don't forget the Pelicans as of now are on the outside looking in on the playoffs. How exciting for the NBA to be able to bring back, to, to bring back basketball 
And what a bummer it would be to not see Zion and the Pelicans when they come back. So this, I'm sure they're talking about this behind the scenes. What is the best way for them to get Zion back on TV as soon as possible? And hopefully figure out a way to have him play against LeBron and the Lakers or, or some, you know, the, the Rockets with, with James Harden. These are the games that, that people want to see. And even if I, you know, I think the the downside to tinkering too much is that you may say, all right, well, this championship, you know, whoever wins the championship this summer, if it comes back, let's say it's the Lakers, does it count the same as a, as a championship in normal years? Yes. And yes. I think there's, I think there's something to be said about, all right, the season was so different. The end of the year would, was all weird, but most important is you can drive so much excitement from bringing the sport back from having these great games. And I think this is a, a, it's a great opportunity for the NBA and the NBA, the way that it currently makes decisions, the way that commissioner silver and the, and the GMs and everyone make decisions is perfectly set up for them to really succeed given them coming out of the pandemic at this time, hopefully in, in June, possibly July. The, the NBA more than any other league, they ride their stars. They don't ride the teams. Of course they have a lot of great teams, but the, the league gets its money from showcasing its stars. There's a reason why the Pelicans were on national TV 18 times before this pandemic, like from the times I am, you know, started playing until the, the lockout or I'm despite sorry, the until the stop, not, shut down. Despite the fact that they have a, a, not a good record. Like they have a, not they a have good a record. record. The Warriors are the worst team in basketball, but they have the most stars of any team. They are going to make sure that these stars, when they come back, because again, this is going to be about TV ratings. No one's going to be able to watch these teams play live. So it's going to be about TV ratings. How do you boost your TV ratings? Putting your stars on television. They're going to find a way to make sure all of their stars are showcased at some point this summer. The last thing I'll say on this really quick is that I think that the NBA is somewhat uniquely set up in a way that would allow them to come back before other sports. And by that, I mean the rosters are smaller, 15 guys. You know, uh, it's a lot easier to deal with uh, testing 15 guys, sequestering 15 guys for a couple of weeks, making sure that things are safe than it is if you've got 25 guys on a baseball team or 45 guys on a football team. So I think the, the NBA also plays on a smaller court. It's sort of, it lends itself to, to maybe, you know, having multiple games on the same day and the such. I just think there are a lot of things about the NBA that make it uniquely situated so that it could come back sooner than other sports. Um, the one thing is these guys, they do need to have some time to practice and get ready and get back in game shape. The last thing the NBA wants is the entire nation, the entire world tunes in to watch the games and the guys kind of suck because they have been playing together. Or the, or real, worse, they'll get hurt. Right? Real yeah. quick, real quick, you know, in, in, in the soccer world, the Bundesliga has started training already ahead of the return of the league and probably it was supposed to be next week, but the reason why it's been delayed is because three players on one team tested positive the first day of training. They had to separate and they drew everything back. The NBA, I guarantee you, was looking at stuff like that to see how do we make it so that if one player, because remember, one player shut down sports, Rudy Gobert, that can't happen again. And the NBA cannot take that again. So they're looking at that first to make sure that that won't ever happen again before they proceed. Yeah, and I, I'll ask you, what, what would the NBA do? Let's say LeBron tested positive and they were like, oh, okay. We're going to go ahead and he'll be sequestered. We'll play the season without him. No, they're not, no, they're, they're <laughs> no, not. They'd, they'd they'd shut, they'd shut down the league. It'd be done. 
if any of them test positive, they shut it down then for a few more weeks and and perhaps try it again. But I bet they have to read what the backlash is against that because it'll be all eyes on that on whoever if it's basketball, if it's baseball, whoever comes back first. If there are any issues, they're going to be sort of reading the room on on that reaction. I think I'm sure we'll discuss more about about the return of sports in in coming episodes. But uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about the NCAA and about the last dance. So we mentioned that a few days ago, the NCAA put out a press release about them now, as, as we've said, they've been dragged kicking and screaming into evaluating what it would look like to let student athletes profit off of their name, image, and likenesses. And of course, because this is Jason Evans's favorite topic, Jason, I'll give it to you first. <laughs> no, second, you second first. favorite, second favorite, oh, UNC's okay. favorite topic. What's it? What's this? Oh, oh, UNC. Sure. Yeah, this is uh, second favorite. Yeah, <laughs> on the, depends on the flavor of the month. But this month, let's talk NCAA. It is uh, is a good a time as any for Jason to give us his thoughts. So, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about the what you think about the feasibility of the NCAA's at least initial proposal or or initial uh, discussion and how it sort of plays with the broader scheme. We know that there are a lot of states that have initiated legislation about paying players and all that kind of stuff. Where do you see those lining up? So what the NCAA did, the NCAA working group um, endorsed a plan that would allow players to earn money from name, image, and likeness. But the NCAA said, oh, but we're going to put limits on it. Um, you know, oh, we're going to have a panel that's going to look at the deals and it's going to say if if this endorsement deal, this name, image, and likeness deal is is market value or not. And and the NCAA wants they they talked a lot about guardrails. The NCAA had a press conference um, uh, where they where they kept on talking about they want guardrails on this. They don't want it to get out of control. I have bad news for you, NCAA. That's not going to work. That does not comply with the laws that have been passed in California and Florida. And there are like 15 or 20 other states that are about to pass the same laws as well. Those laws all say you cannot limit, you cannot limit how much money or how these players earn money from their name, image, and likeness. So the NCAA's way around that is the NCAA has already begun talking about they're going to ask Congress to give them an antitrust exemption, just like baseball has, so they won't be subje subjected to these state laws. Good luck with that. It's 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 not going to happen. You're not going to. First of all, Congress has a lot bigger fish to fry, um, and and you're just not going to. There are too many. There's a reason the states have passed these laws. It's because the public doesn't want you limiting what the players can earn off the court, so or the field, wherever it may be. So Congress Congress is not going to pass your antitrust exemption so that you can create whatever barriers you want. I'd love to I'd love to introduce some of the words in this NCAA press release to some of my business school professors about <laughs> assessing, the, assessing the 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 fair market value of a player's name image and likenesses. You know what that fair market value is? Whatever somebody wants to pay them for it. And, exactly. You no. Know, and 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 we've said that it is going to be harder. It'll be harder to do this than it is what the NCAA currently does, which is just says, no, if they start trying to come up with, all right, this is how much a shoe deal is worth. This is how much a commercial is worth. This is how much you name it is worth. They're going to be mired in so much more 
mud and confusion than they currently are. Just let them let them go and see what happens. I think the the thing they're trying to protect against is too much too fast because there is a concern here that there is so much money that currently goes to the schools and to the athletic departments that would be going right to the players if it was able to, that it's almost too much of a shock to athletic departments to say, all right, sponsorship money, let it go wherever it goes. Like let, you know, we're not going to have nice new facilities. We're not going to have uh, all the non-revenue sports. We're just going to pay the the famous basketball and football players, whatever it is the boosters want to pay them. And I think they're trying to come up with a, with a medium term solution for that. The problem is, as you said, Jason, I don't think that this medium term solution is feasible. I think there has to be some kind of like additional market study to find out exactly how things would change if they let it go whole hog. This is exactly why I think we talked about this last episode or the episode before that. This is exactly why I said, let's wait and see what the NCAA does, because I knew they were going to come up with a bunch of crap like they did here because honestly look this first of all what they basically are saying and sam you will know exactly what i'm talking about they basically want they think that all of these players are just going to be you know doing some eastern motors commercials where they're wearing a generic <laughs> football or basketball jersey and they're like hi i'm Jalen johnson of the two blue devils you donald, know exactly what i'm talking about donald we need to we need to take a pause and and, and tell the listeners that if they're not from the washington dc area they must, they must go Google the Eastern Motors commercials yes. where, where your job is your credit. Your job is your credit, except for right now because ain't nobody got no job. So ain't nobody, nobody got, got no, no job. No, no yeah. credit to be so, at Eastern Motors. But we have these type of things, right? So it, it's the other thing. They're not allowing for players to use – they can say, hey, I'm Jalen Johnson from the Duke Blue Devils. But they can't use Duke logos. They can't use ACC logos. They can't use you know any other logos, right? Uh, hold on, hold on. I, I'm I'm actually fine with that. The schools and the NCAA own those logos. They own those images. They own those names. The players shouldn't be allowed to just, you know, willy nilly, essentially sell Duke's name. Um, so it'll look can, like no. It'll look I'm like not every saying. I'm not awkward, saying that it'll be every awkward subway commercial where Mike Trout is just wearing a red cap and a white jersey, and it right. doesn't have any angels. Yeah, but, also, but here's yeah. the thing about that, though. Here's the thing about that, though. I. I agree with you. I don't think that like, yo, I as a college athlete, right, should just go and say, hey, take Duke's thing, take all this and put it in the commercial. But the problem is that is a part of the money making. They wouldn't go after Jalen Johnson for X amount of dollars if he didn't play for X university. And the problem is, is that when we see Mike Trout, we know exactly who Mike Trout is. For some of these players, we don't know who they are except for when they put on that uniform. So that is going to go hand in hand. And the problem with it is they just basically drew a line in the sand that can easily be wiped out. And I think that is why I said we should be in a wait and see thing, because I knew they were going to come up with something that was far inferior to what the states are coming up with and allowing these lines to be wiped out. And I think that is the real issue with what the NCAA is doing is they're not doing enough. They're hoping that, like you said, Jason, they're hoping that they can get you know, do a little bit, give them a little carrot until they get, you know, the, the licensing or whatever the, the, uh, the legalities in place where they don't have to even give them that carrot anymore. So I think that's the real issue here. Look, look, Sam said it really well at the very beginning of his comments, saying no to everything is easy. I think saying yes to everything is also easy. The NCAA is trying to say yes, but 
and yes, but is really, really difficult because none of us know how the butt works. The NCAA doesn't know how the butt works. Uh-huh. Sounds kind of funky for me to be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. But but <laughs> um, but we 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 all recognize the NCAA is trying not to go all the way from no to yes immediately. I, I just can't figure out how they're going to get there. I, again, they're trying. I think that they're going to realize that it it fails and they're going to have to go all the way to yes. I think they'll probably do that very very quickly. I do want to add one other really quick thing, which is that. This probably comes at a really good time for the NCAA because the the NBA G League thing where they're taking kids directly out of high school um, is suddenly starting to look like a little more of a threat than some people thought. Now, not not a not a huge threat. I mean, there are people who are like, oh, no, you know, they're going to take all the they're going to take 30, 40, 50 high school basketball players. I don't think that's going to happen at all. But this past week, the NBA G League signed their third high school player. But unlike Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, they signed a kid who'd actually signed a letter of intent. Dacian Nix was going to UCLA. So let's be clear. Dacian Nix wanted to attend college. He wanted to get at least a year's worth of education out of UCLA. He was going to be the UCLA starting point guard. Letter of intent. Done. Signed. Sealed. Delivered. The best recruit UCLA had for next year. He's gone. Uh, He just trashed his letter of intent threw it out the window, and he's going to play in the NBA G League uh, select team. But, but I think but Jason, well, we're, well, not, Jason yeah. we're not talking about guys going to mid-majors. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying that this, this name, image, and likeness thing may be a good buffer against these kids who think the only route they have to make money out of high school is the G League. This will allow them to perhaps to make some money uh, you know, directly out of high school in college, which which I think they should. And the other thing I wanted to mention about this G League stuff, we're starting to see coaches push back on it. Um, uh, Calipari, Coach Cal, said the G League is disillusioning thousands of high school kids and telling them that education doesn't matter. And Penny Hardaway said, I didn't think the G League was built to go out and try and recruit kids away from college. I thought they were trying to get kids who were going to go overseas or didn't want to play college at all. He said, I don't know why they're taking kids out of commitments and, and convincing them to turn pro rather than go to college. Um, so, so you're starting to see coaches come out against this. And I think there's going to be some pushback against the NCAA on this G League program. Okay. So on the G League, I think that Calipari is disillusioning, disillusioning college athletes just as much as he's claiming the G League is, because we're talking about three players. We're not talking about all these players that all of a sudden like, oh my God, the G League is an option. We have to go. But here's the thing that I think, I don't think the G League necessarily right now, I think, you know, eventually it will be. But I think right now, their biggest recruit is uncertainty. We are still talking about, we are in a world right now, we are still talking about the possibility, a non-zero chance that, College sports will not play in 2020. That includes football. That includes basketball. Basketball starting in January is, and, and here's the thing, just like every other sport, our, our college sports just going to turn the faucet all the way back on to, to pre, pre-COVID normal? No. There's going to be an instance where they're going to be like, yes, you guys can play games, but there's not going to be any fans in the stands. Or there's you know 25% attendance, whatever the social distancing guidelines would appear at the time. Cameron... Cameron has a sellout 
streak that goes back over 30 years. A, a, a dubious years. streak. It's a dubious streak, but it's a streak nonetheless. Yes, but here's the thing. There are some games where there are way more than announced attendance. So take some of those people out, sprinkle in. I'll call it a streak. But the thing is, we that is something in, in college football has this all over the country. This is going to be something that they would rather. There are some places where you would say it's rather it's more expensive to open up a game and only have 25% attendance than to not have the game at all. And I think when that uncertainty is still present, wait, that wait, is wait, why wait, some wait. of these players wait, wait, there's not when you the include TV, not when you include TV run money. I'm not. I'm, I'm, t- I'm just talking about the actual cost expense of putting on a game because you're talking about the ushers, security, parking, concessions, production, which also includes TV. Those. The thing about it is this: yes, that game may be on TV, right? But when they're they're not on TV at the practice facility. They're going to be on TV in a hundred. 10,000 seat stadiums for college basketball. Yes. They're going to be in smaller arenas, but the problem is, is that forget you just from the player's perspective, uncertainty is why some of these guys are considering leaving right now because you sign a letter of intent for next year and you don't know if you're going to play, but you know, the G league's coming back and you'll get paid for it. That is why some of these guys are considering that the value of that couple hundred thousand dollars that you get from the G league next year is much greater when you consider that, there may be no alternative to it, right? Correct. Yeah. A, now that's a, a possibility. Year, I agree. In a normal year, you'd be trading, let's say it's a $100,000 contract with the guarantee that you'll be able to stay in college for four years, provided you, you know, meet the minimum requirements. Now that, now that trade looks totally different and, and players, it does seem are evaluating it differently. I wouldn't take any of the specific examples from this year and try to turn them into archetypes for what's going to happen in future years when presumably there won't be a pandemic for players to be deciding during, you know, when they're figuring out where their next move is. Well, well, we're also talking about, we're also talking about, again, we're not talking about 50 guys that have left to go to this G league. We're talking about three and and uh, and three out of what, you know, 5,000, you know, estimated number of, of college basketball players. We're talking about three players. Uh, I will add this to the point you guys were making about whether or not college basketball comes back. We were talking about how the NBA would come back. It's not possible to do what the NBA and other pro sports may try to do. Not possible for college sports. There are 350 teams in division one. You can't sequester those players at Disney world or any place else. And, and, have and them maybe Disney world, but not other places. It doesn't and work. Well, and, and those, those teams and they're are students. All, yeah. They're all, they're all beholden to different, schools standards right duke is not going to put on intercollegiate athletic events until the campus reopens and right. and so if you have if you have even a couple of schools that that can't join the party they're not going to do the thing at all so and yeah, the players aren't getting paid to do what they're being asked to do as right. opposed to the nba where they're getting paid tens of millions of dollars to play basketball they'll come back whenever because they don't get that money you're telling a college athlete, hey, we are forcing you to play, even though you may be scared that you're contracting this virus. And oh, yeah, we're not even going to pay you for it. There, yeah. so, that is why but, this is going to be difficult. I, again, I know we're going we're gonna to come back to this topic. I do want to finish this episode with a, a bit of discussion on the closest thing to real sports content that we've 
that we've had in in recent weeks, which is ESPN's The Last Dance documentary chronicling the 97-98 Bulls and and all that led up to that tumultuous and ultimately winning season for Michael Jordan and his teammates. So we didn't get to speak since the prior. So last night, it's now Monday, May 4th. Last night, we saw episodes five and six. The week before was episodes three and four. And I don't think we've spoken since that set of episodes. I do want to come back to Donald and start with a quick recap from episodes three and four, specifically Donald. Bad boys. Please look Donald, here. Of course, Donald, of course, is from Michigan. He grew up a Pistons fan. Donald, can you defend Isaiah Thomas walking off the floor after the Eastern Conference Finals in 1991 and not shaking Michael Jordan's hand? Easily. Easily. Do it. <laughs> first of it. all, first of all, the Pistons came up in an era where there were two kings, the Lakers and the Celtics. They had to go through each of them to get to the promised land. They built this team up to get to the promised land by going those th- through those two specific teams. Now, when they beat the Celtics in 1988, the Celtics claimed that they walked off that were forced off the court because of security concerns. They had never been a security concern in the history of Detroit to that moment. Yes, there may have been some 30 years later, but there wasn't at that specific moment. They walked off the court and didn't shake their hands. And Larry Bird admitted years later that it was because that was passing the torch. When you're like, hey, when you have the torch and you pass it, you pass it by walking off the court without shaking the other team's off. hand. You just walk off. And even the, the, they, of course, in the, vid, in the they showed the footage of uh, Kevin McHale shaking hands, but it was literally like Isaiah Thomas running after him to shake his hand. And Kevin McHale came, kind of saying like, yo, this is how it's done. The Lakers, when we beat him in 89, did the exact same thing. Now, everyone's reaction to the Bulls, or I'm sorry, the Pistons walking off on the Bulls is that, oh, well, Michael shook their hands when he lost. Michael didn't have a torch to pass in 1988. Michael didn't have a torch to pass in 1989. Michael didn't have a torch to pass in 1990. Do you know why? Because the Pistons were the torch. The Pistons beat them. The torch remained in the Pistons' hands, and there was no torch to be passed. So that is very – that is not a fair comparison. Now, this also brings up to the fact that we are 30 years after removed from this. 30 years. And Michael Jordan and, and Michael Jordan is still talking smack about Isaiah Thomas about it. Rent-free. Remember these words. Isaiah Thomas lives rent-free, zero-dollar rent-free in Michael <laughs> Jordan's head because the greatest player of all time, the guy who has more six trophies, six, uh, six championships, all the trophies, a billion-dollar shoe deal, the most recognizable athlete on the planet, still has to sit in a chair for hours and talk about someone that he truly hates. And really, that is why bad boys are the greatest because they took because here's the thing they changed the rules of the nba to make it easier for michael jordan to win they specifically got rid of the jordan rules the physicality and here's the thing he's pissed off at the bull at the at the at the pistons but we fast forward to episodes five and six he didn't share that same hatred for the knicks who did the exact same thing that the bad boys did to try and stop them they just weren't as good can, can i make a counterpoint really quick <laughs> go ahead can I make a, a quick counterpoint donald <laughs> don't be mean i think it is i think it is possible not saying this is the truth but i think it is possible isaiah thomas is a jerk and that yes. that's why that's why he's my, he's no, my, no, no, no. 
Here's the other thing. He didn't he didn't lead the walk-off. Bill Lane Beer did. He didn't go after Bill Lane Beer. You know why? Because Bill Lane Beer was bigger than him. He would beat his ass. He went after Isaiah Thomas, who was smaller than him. And because everyone's like, oh yeah, it's a punchable face. He can do that. That face, however, has not changed since he was like 19 years old, which is why people still are like, oh yes, I can see this guy and see what Michael Jordan hates him because he looks the exact same as he did back in 1988. We also but- know <laughs> we also know that, that Michael Jordan is the king of petty, right? He, oh yeah. God. Oh yeah. He hears- he hears Ask slights. Bobby Hurley. He remember them. He remembers. He remembers the smallest slights for the longest amount of time. And, 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 he, and in his in his Hall of Fame speech, he he used twenty minutes of it to rag on his high school coach for cutting him from his from the team when he was a sophomore. He is in the Hall of Fame. He's the greatest player arguably who ever lived, and he spent twenty minutes talking about a guy who was like, "Bro, I, that was that was forty seven years can, ago, man." Can, can we get past? Can we get past the bad boys now and talk about how great um, the Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan stuff was? Yes, at the that was game? really cool. That yeah. was a great time. And then, but my favorite was the Tony Kukoc stuff. <laughs> that was know. your favorite? I, okay, yeah. here's my favorite. Here's my favorite. My favorite is old man Bob from marketing, uh, the security guard, taking 20 <laughs> off of Jordan in the quarters game <laughs> and just shrugging it off. <laughs> and just shrugging it off. That man right there who, who apparently had He's just legend. passed away. He just passed away in January, so everyone was like, "Man, we have to do an interview on this guy." And it came out last night after the episode that did, he sadly passed away just before this. Like, can you imagine? Like, he would have been a legend. He would have walked into work the next day and just been like, "Yes, sir, I did take twenty off of Jordan and shrugged him off." Like, that man's Wait, a legend. <laughs> Jason, Jason, tell us, tell us again about the about the Coach story because I th- this was a lot of fun, and I, <laughs> of course, but by the way, when I'm watching this. I basically like I remember Michael Jordan in '98 and and the Bulls being great. I don't remember. I, I wasn't old enough to like know all the intricacies. Like I don't remember Dennis Rodman disappearing to Las Vegas and and all of this. Oh my god, that was stuff. that was yo my god. Jason, that Jason, the wait, Rodman Las Vegas <laughs> thing is like off the charts. Walk us back, J- Jason. Walk us back through the Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen versus Tony Kukoc thing from the Olympics. So it all comes back to how much they freaking hate Jerry Krause. They could not stand Jerry Krause. And Jerry Krause loved Tony Kukoc, thought it was the best draft pick he ever made. And, hey, it was. It was a really smart, really savvy deal by the Bulls when they picked up Tony Kukoc when he was just, like, you know, 19 or something like that. And and so Jerry Krause would talk about how great Tony Kukoc was going to be someday. And so we come to the 92 Olympics, and Scottie Pippen – um, by the way, uh, there, there's all this talk that to get Tony Kukoc, the Bulls are going to have to pay him even more than what they pay Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen feels like he is underpaid. He is underpaid. And so for the first time, any NBA guy got to play against Tony Kukoc, who was over in Europe, was in the Olympics. And the first time the U.S. plays Croatia, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen owned I mean, owned Tony Kukoc. It was just uh, just blocking shots out of everywhere, taking the ball to him. Kukoc, I think they said, had four points in the game. And, and Pippen had like 18 or 20 U.S. wins by 30-plus points. It was, it was hysterical. And, and Kukoc, talking about today, he's like, I didn't know who these guys are. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really great. You were talking about Tony Kukoc and the Dream Team. I just want to touch briefly on the Dream Team. They are literally the greatest team that has ever been produced. They went through an entire Olympics without even calling so much as a timeout. Like they beat everybody by more than like 25 points, something like that. It just the fact that like Tony Kukoc, 
is a guy who, I mean, remember, these are guys who they would play these, you know, these other other nations and the other nations before the game of like, yo, can I just get your jersey like right now? Like, can I take a picture with you? Can, I, can you sign my shoe before we like as they're trying to, you know, start tipping off to like getting these requests like they like that team. They kind of glossed over that. I, I, there's obviously a lot of documentaries on that on the Dream Team, but this documentary glossed over the fact that you know it wasn't just Jordan and even to lesser extent Magic and Bird. All everyone on that team was a rock star. Even Christian Leitner was just m- mobbed by people. Maybe at back then it was probably because of who he was on the team with. They're like, hey, maybe can can you get me to Michael Jordan or can you get me to uh, you know Magic Johnson? But that. Just watching that team play, like I, I, I remember that particular Olympics especially because every single game was like in the middle of the afternoon during the summer, and you were able to just watch domination. And at that point, it was like in soccer, English started, England started soccer. There are other teams, other nations who were better than them. Canada, you know, they started hockey, but they're not as good at hockey as the United States is to the rest of the world at that time was at basketball. And I think that is what led to the rise of the star athlete, especially the European star in the NBA. We have a lot to thank the dream team for, but just the sheer domination that they provided was exemplary. Oh, and we can, you know, we, we were talking before about the NBA's opportunity for bringing sports back and, and being the the global brand that it is. Like you said, Donald, it, it traces back to the, to the dream team in 1992. So it, it's very cool to to go back and revisit all that stuff. Like I said, it, it, this is all new history for me. It, I mean, you know, I, I can read about these things, but seeing it all on on camera like this is this is sort of a first for me. So I'm having a lot of fun uh, watching the Last Dance, and and can't wait for. I guess next week we're going to get more of the sad stuff about Michael retiring for the first time and and going off to play baseball and and all that part of the story. Retiring, which is, re, re, yes. Uh, uh, Air quotes. Be damned. Something tells me they will not be getting into all of that in no. this version of the telling. But um, I will say uh, one final note about the Dennis Rodman 80-ish hours in Vegas. I had heard that story. We, you know, I think even the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 had touched briefly on it. The the new news that came in this documentary is that Michael Jordan himself had to go to Vegas to get him back. I think that like that is how much he needed Dennis Rodman to win. That's how invaluable Dennis Rodman was to the Bulls that he literally was like, yeah, first of all, he had to be consulted about going to Vegas. They're like, yeah, let that man go. He'll be back in 48 hours. And then four days later, he himself traveled to Vegas to the hotel room and got him to bring him back. Absolutely wild story. They need to they need to do a 30 30 on just that 88 hours. Hey, I know we're about to wrap up, but just really quick, there was just some news that came out recently uh, in the past hour or so that Louisville has gotten a notice of allegations from the NCAA regarding the Adidas uh, scandal that you know happened back in 2017. Um, remember that they had this recruit, Brian Bowen, um, who allegedly was paid by Adidas. Um, the, the notice of allegations from the NCAA alleges one level one violation and three level two violations. And Louisville says they're going to respond to all this. I just want to say really quick that I think Louisville is probably going to not get hit very hard by the NCAA on this um, because uh, as soon as Louisville found out about Brian Bowen's stuff, they they immediately suspended him. Um, they they essentially they got they got rid of the head. They got rid of Rick Pitino. 
Um, they got rid of the athletic director. I mean, Louisville took a number of very swift steps already regarding this. And so I think when the NCAA, when it comes time for the NCAA to punish them, they're going to say, you know what, the guys who are here now, the folks who are currently in charge of Louisville basketball had nothing to do with this. And the program didn't really benefit from it because the program, you know, immediately got rid of the player. So I think Louisville is going to come out pretty good when all this um, is, is said and done. But, but this, is, this is meaningful that the NCAA is now um, beginning to, to send out notices of allegations. I would imagine Kansas and Arizona, who are the two other schools who did not react nearly in the way Louisville did. Those two programs have got to be very worried right now about what the NCAA is going to say to them. Louisville Even also, admits, Louisville, yeah. also uh, Louisville also uh, self-banned themselves from the postseason for one year uh, in, re- in response to this. So I, I think those sort of things are, are things that the NCAA may take into effect when they're uh, loving out whatever punishment that comes their way. And so maybe we're returning to some normalcy to see the NCAA handing down notices of allegations to programs that are constantly running afoul of their arbitrary set of rules. One other note, we talked a fair amount about Wake Forest and their coaching search after firing Danny Manning. I think since we last spoke, they hired East Tennessee State's Steve Forbes, who has had a really successful career there. He's been an assistant at the at the high major level before. And I, I think by by all reports, there's, there's a lot of optimism that, that Steve Forbes is a at least a very good pick for this job. I think we were um, we were kind of all excited about some of the other candidates, but but I think generally speaking, it seems like Wake fans and and the college basketball media are excited about Steve Forbes. I'm sure we'll hear more in the coming weeks about how transfers and, and recruits are are working out for them. But all of that is to be determined. I'm sure we can talk about the rest of the ACC down the road as as things start to solidify more for hey, next and, season. And- Remember that I I had said that the current Wake uh, athletic director, the new Wake athletic director, was from Tennessee, and I, that's why I'd, I had thought, oh, maybe you know he'll he'll pick someone he's familiar with. Steve Forbes is someone he's familiar with. Steve Forbes was an assistant coach at Tennessee while he was athlete while he was in the athletic department. So uh, it, again, I think this is a hire that makes perfect sense for Wake Forest. And we'll like I said, we'll we'll talk more about this when we know more. But for now. Uh, We will sign off from episode 208 uh, for Donald Wine in Washington, D.C., for Jason Evans in Atlanta. I'm still in Durham. This is Sam Klein. I'm not in Durham for very much longer, so we'll we'll update on locations when when those moves happen. But uh, until we speak again, until there is more basketball or more college athletics or more something else for us to talk about, stay safe, stay home, um, stay with each other. And uh, this has been episode 208 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us off.